Hey, hello, Colter Nuanas. Welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. This Big Sky Breakdown, touching on both sides of the Continental Divide. We'll have a little recap of Montana State's season to this point with Brooks Nuanas as the Bobcats enter a bye, coming off a 34-21 loss to Sacramento State. Brooks will also help us preview the Sac State-Montana game, the biggest game in the conference, the biggest game in the country this weekend in Sacramento. Number 5 Grizzlies taking on the number 15 Hornets. Should be a great showdown. We'll also share a collection of interviews with you from across the Big Sky Conference. We will hear from Sacramento State first-year head coach Troy Taylor, his interview that he joined us on Tutel Nuanas, Montana's number one statewide sports talk show. We'll also hear from Kevin Thompson, Sacramento State quarterback. His second appearance on Tutel Nuanas, he's becoming a friend of the show. He's in grad school. He's already been in college for six years, so he's got more time on his hands. Ironic, I know. He's supposed to be studying. He doesn't have to be in class as much, so he can take a little bit of time away just to take a little quick phone call. And he's a great guy to talk to, and then we'll have three straight Grizz interviews as well. Bobby Houck, head coach of the Montana Grizzlies. Robbie Houck, his son, and a standout sophomore safety, one of my favorite guys to break it down. I was actually just waiting for a different interview yesterday, yesterday down at Grizz practice, and uh, Robbie was just standing there. I said, Robbie, if you got 90 seconds, I'd love your take on the game. And as always, it was great. And then we'll hear from Smart Torrey, junior wide receiver for the Montana Grizzlies. Big Sky Breakdown, presented proudly by Selway Armory. Selway Armory, with locations in both Missoula and Bozeman. Go check out that new Selway Armory if you haven't already. And if you have, head back over there and bring a friend. You are going to love it, I promise. It is a beautiful store with wonderful inventory. One of the great places you can shop for guns, firearms, ammunition, rifles, whatever you might need. 96 Laura Louise Lane, Unit 15 is the official address. It's just out there on Jackrabbit and Baxter. You can find it right there. It's easy to find. It's a great place. Really, really good uh, service. They have experts when it comes to any firearms, all your firearm needs, uh, great prices on ammunition. So take the Selway Armory Challenge. Shop with Selway Armory for a year. I guarantee you, you will save money compared to the big box stores. they got a couple great sales when it comes to ammunition uh, and clips and things of the like going on this weekend. So if you're around town, you're going hunting, you're hitting up southwest Montana, go check out that new Selway Armory in Bozeman. They also have one in Missoula as well. Big Sky Breakdown also presented in part by Town Pump. Town Pump Montana's best since 1953. Whether you need food, gas, a drink, Whatever you need, Town Pump's got you covered. There's locations everywhere. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump food store near you. Without further ado, Brooks Nuana is joining the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Big Sky Breakdown marches on mid-October. Can't believe it, but the second half of the football season is already upon us. That means basketball season's fast approaching as well. Brooks Nuana is joining us on the line, SkylineSportsMT.com. And before we get into football, Brooks and I were together at the Montana State homecoming game against Sac State uh, for Montana State, and we'll get into that and what the Bobcats need to address on their bye week this week. We'll also give you a little preview on the Montana-Sacramento State showdown in Sacramento on Saturday. Before that, though, uh, all of a sudden it's basketball season, and uh, the Big Sky All-League preseason lists came out today, and uh, we'll start with the women. Uh, Brooks and I were really racking our brains you know, we, there's a lot of people out there that you know make fun of women's basketball or they they don't enjoy it but uh, Brooks and I are not among those uh, we we really do enjoy covering Big State Conference women's basketball I think that it's been wildly entertaining the last couple of years the tournaments have been epic and we we've seen some of the best basketball games men or women that I've been, had the pleasure of covering or watching I know Brooks did too and we told this story before but the last year in Reno uh, before the semifinal game between Idaho and Portland State a couple of our buddies that were down there to watch the men's tournament, they didn't have anything to do. 
and we said, hey, trust us, stay and watch this game. And then it was like 197, about 10 million three-pointers were hitting that game. Uh, but it was so interesting digging into the all-league list uh, for preseason voting this year because so many of the great players, not just in the scope of last season, but honestly all time in the history of the league, departed from last year. Uh, Savannah Smith at Northern Colorado, uh, Michaela Ferenz and Taylor Pierce, uh, the former, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the Big Sky Conference, the latter, the all-time leading three-point shooter in the history of the league and one of the most prolific in the history of the league. And then on down the line, I mean, so many good players across the Big Sky and almost all of them graduated. And so when we were going through our list, it was just uh, almost an absence of talent. Uh, but there's a lot of there's good players, just girls that have never been expected to be all-league First team all league type talents yet, and now they're all going to be. So the list came out today. Uh, Fallon Frigi, who was the uh, transfer from North Dakota, who sat out last year at Montana State, she's going to be a senior, and she was the preseason MVP. So I think that is exactly indicative of what we just talked about the amount of talent that graduated from last year because Frigi did not play last year, yet she is voted as the preseason MVP. The rest of the all league list Portland State guard Kylie Jimenez. Sacramento State forward Ken- Kennedy Nicholas, Idaho State guard Estefania Ors, Montana State senior guard Oleana Squires, Montana senior guard Mackenzie Johnston, and Idaho sophomore guard Gina Markson. Uh, so Brooks, first of all, going to be a brand new league this year on the women's side of things. It's actually going to be crazy to watch without uh, so many of the mainstays that we've seen for so long uh, participating in the Big Sky Conference this year. Yeah, when we when we when you asked me to start thinking about what, what our votes would look like, I almost said, and I want to address the name. Is it is it Frigi? It's not Frigi. I would always I call her actually, Fallen. I think it's actually Frigi. Fallon Frigi. I think it's Fallon Frigi is what I've always referred to her as. That was going to be my MVP vote, but then I thought, well, that's kind of a throwaway vote because no one will think of her or vote. I do think that she might be the best player in the league, but I was like, ah, that's a dumb vote. So I didn't even say anything. But when it came out, I was like, yeah, okay, well, I kind of agree with that. Um, I think Kylie Jimenez is a, is a dynamic player. She's super fun to watch. Tiny, um, kind of mighty might, does it all, can score the ball, passes. Uh, a pretty good floor general as well. I really like Kylie Jimenez. Um, I think Estefania Ors, I think Idaho State's always tough. She's going to be a girl that is – able to get more shots. She's been with some really good players the last three years. Yeah. Um, I think that now being the focal point, she's the kind of player that's the fourth or fifth best scorer on the team. And it's like second scoring just due to the ball finds her. Cause there's a, maybe a better matchup that she's facing. Right. Um, so I think Estefania Ors is a great pick um, and a, a, a girl that's going to put up quite a few points this year. Oliana Squires and Mackenzie Johnston, both from the state of Montana um, both dynamic guards, I think a little bit different skill set, but I think both kind of, you know, almost guaranteed nods for the preseason awards. Been around the league, started since freshman, um, have been uh, productive players and sometimes dominant players. Um, I think both of them are, are, are great on both ends of the floor. Um, not as familiar with Kennedy Nicholas, even though I have seen her play. Sex State will always get up and down. Um, I was under the impression that they had been down last year as well as the year before. Um, but I really do think that uh, Bunky Harkle Road does a pretty good job down there. Always a tough style. It's kind of like playing Cal Poly in football with a triple option. Um, kind of 40 minutes of death, uh, full-court press, really unique uh, style that I would love to run as a coach in women's college basketball, especially at this level. Um, 
and the Gina Markson, you know, a girl that took over for a, a starting spot as a freshman and was named the Big Sky Freshman of the Year. Uh, a, a pretty solid player, I think, that will take a big step. She's the kind of girl that can knock down threes, um, which we've become quite familiar with there at Idaho um, with Vandal Women's Basketball. But that team has been kind of a factory, and I think that she's kind of the next in line to to be a, a ball dominant scorer. Um, and uh, not a pick that I necessarily would have made uh, off off the top uh, of my head when I was thinking about it. But when I see it and think about the the landscape of the league, a, a pretty good pick. So overall, a solid team. Uh, but I do agree, we'll, there'll be some newcomers that kind of make their stamp in the league with a lot of departing uh, all time greats in the Big Sky Conference. Along with Savannah Smith, Michaela Ferenz, and Taylor Pierce, other players from last year that were premier players that are gone. Hannah Friend from Sacramento State decided to graduate transfer. She was third in the league at scoring 19.1 points per game. Jelani Welch-Coleman, uh, the Allen Iverson of the Big Sky Conference women the last couple of years. Tiny, tiny, but so, so fun to watch. She graduated. Violet Capri Morrow, who led Eastern Washington on a great run all the way to the championship game of the Big Sky Tournament last year, is gone. Uh, Kaylee Paplow at Northern Arizona, who was the seventh leading scorer in the Big Sky Conference. Sydney Riley, Courtney West. Ashley Bolston, all gone from Portland State, the team that won the Big Sky title and went to the uh, big dance. Grace Kenyon, Sailor Grandin, and Idaho State are gone. So when you look at the uh, Emily Drake at Weber State is also gone. Um, and so when you look at the returning top scorers and top players in the league, Kenny Nicholas was the 10th leading scorer in the league last year and also the leading rebounder in the league, 11.1 rebounds per game. But she's gone, uh, or she, excuse me, she she's back. She she returns, uh, but that's the only one that's really up there in terms of the statistical rankings. Uh, Mackenzie Johnson was 16th in the league in scoring. Uh, Estefania Ors was 14th, but like you said, Brooks, she got a lot of open shots. Other people that we considered uh, in this voting, we considered Rebecca Cardenas from Southern Utah. She's been great in the tournament. Uh, Grace Kirshner from Eastern Washington was one of the better freshmen in the league last year, and we considered her a little bit as well. Um, also worth noting, gone, Jace Henderson, stud post for the University of Montana. Um, but we also consider Lizzie Clinker at Idaho, uh, who's a, actually a Montana native, uh, but is playing at the University of Idaho, and, and she's been a pretty good player. And then a lot of the players we considered were players from, from Montana, either Montana or Montana State. I actually think Montana State has probably the most, the most number of returning uh, proven players, whether it's Oleana Squires or... Fallon Frege or Blair Braxton or Madeline Smith or Martha Cooter, all those players have been starters and contributors in this league. Um, so Montana State probably the most flush, but no real headliners amongst uh, these all-league players. And so we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a fascinating year to cover who can step up, who can uh, rise their level to that all-league level and, and affirm the preseason with maybe a postseason nod. I also thought that Kayla Watkins from Weber State was uh, a force last year. She's a six-two yep. post player um, who can rebound and, and use her body in a, in, a, in a variety of ways, especially for you know quite a few of those post players you just named were, were great defenders like Grace Kenyon at Idaho State. Um, so I thought that Kayla Watkins was another name, even though Weber's been down. Um, but overall, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. It's always it's always fun when the league's wide open because then you you do get to see people rise, and it's not necessarily as much of a guarantee. What do you think of of just Fallon Frisch being preseason MVP? Um, I thought that she was the best player. I mean, like I said, she's the first player that popped up uh, in my head 
she is the kind of player that is just a matchup nightmare. Um, yep. She's just, she, at, at every, at every juncture of her career, she will always score points and always rebound. She's just the kind of player that is, that will always be taller than, than her defender and, or than faster. If the, if she gets someone her same size, but she's a big enough player to play the, the, the four and the five in small lineups. She can also handle the ball and shoot, shoot a little bit from the outside. So she can play, more of a natural three, but she can also handle the ball. I mean, I think that she's a really dynamic player. It was a huge gift for Montana State. Every time I saw her at the end of the bench, I was like, wow, this team is going to be really good with her, no matter who they lose. This is a really dynamic player and a player that knows the league, uh, knows the, like, the level of competition, and, and as well as has some familiarity with some stylistic things that are unique in the league. Um, I think it, it's not a surprising pick to me, though I did think that people would overlook her. Her last year at North Dakota, she averaged thirteen point two points, seven point seven rebounds per game. So, those statistics alone bear out. I mean, th- those are basically the second best returning statistics of any player. And again, she didn't play last year. And as we know too, sometimes Sacramento State statistics are somewhat skewed just because of the style they play, the high possession count they play. On the uh, the men's side, Jarek Harding, the preseason Big Sky Conference uh, MVP. And I think we voted Jared Harding as the preseason MVP from Weaver State. He's going to make a run at Tyler Hall's all-time leading scorer, all-time scoring uh, leader, the all-time most points in the history of the Big Sky Conference. The other players on the team included Harold Frey from Montana State, Syed Pridgett from Montana, Mason Peetling, and Jacob Davidson from Eastern Washington, and Holland Woods from Portland State. And I think that is actually exactly how we voted, except for we did not vote Jacob Davidson, who's coming off an injury. Instead, we voted for Cameron Aluaton from Southern Utah. But other than that, pretty much chalk. I, there wasn't that much argument here, at least in my perspective, on the guys that were the uh, the preseason All Big Sky guys uh, on the men's side. Yeah, and I think Davidson was right there for us. Uh, his injury was pretty bad, man. I mean, I saw, I saw it not necessarily happen directly, but I saw his foot. He was an ankle injury, a, a high ankle sprain. I saw his foot. Uh, kind of why he's getting worked on with trainers during the Big Sky Basketball Tournament, and it looks pretty bad. I mean, it just it, it was a significant injury. So you always wonder how guys will come back from that. Um, interesting to see that, that he made that list. I think, um, can we say his name again, Cameron? Cameron Aluaton. Aluaton. I think Aluaton is a fantastic player. Southern Utah stacked, man. When I looked at their team picture they posted on Twitter just a week ago, I, I recognized, eight or nine guys that were high energy contributors that are all back. Uh, they play with such a chip on their shoulder. They're going to lose games just by, just by, I think the culture of the program overall, they're not always on the same page, but when they are and they're functioning at a high level, it's a really good team. And I think that he's probably their best player, at least their best scorer. And so I think that that's kind of why we led on and leaned on him a little bit. Um, I think Harding was probably a, a no question nod just because of, the volume and the usage. Uh, I mean, there's really no one to compare him to, even on an NBA level. Uh, he's kind of a mix of a lot of guys, but his usage level, um, when he's healthy and when things are going right for him, his usage level is really high. Um, and, you know, Weaver's had some implosions in the le- uh, in the tournament the last couple of years, but overall, during the regular season, with the home court advantage especially, such a, such a tough team to play, and one of the most storied you know, mid-major programs, especially in the West United States, um, I thought Saeed Bridget could have easily got the nod here for MVP. Yep. Uh, Montana returns quite a bit. You know they lose they lose some significant players, but they brought in some really some freshmen that will contribute early. Um, and I think that Saeed is just going to take that next step. I mean, there was some, a, a, a series of of games last year, or rather weeks, where he was just 
flat out dominant. And he's not a guy that can, that's really shooting it much outside 15 feet. But good night, man. Inside, I think everyone who's seen it really knows how crafty and the amount of touch he has around the rim. Um, a pretty a pretty ferocious rebounder. I thought Saeed could have really got the MVP nod here, but not surprised with Harding. Holland Woods, a guy that fills it up in this dynamic. Um, same with Harold Frey. You know, Harold Frey, it'll be interesting to see how much he tries to get teammates involved. There's portions of last year down the stretch run where he started taking over games. and He went 30-10, and 10, I think, two or, th- two or three times out of five games. Um, I was at several of those games. I mean, he was absolutely dominant, pulling up heat, heat checks from from 26, 27 feet, um, you know, nothing but net. He was in a, in a zone that I think he can find easier and more accessibly than any player in the league. Um, I think that he's going to have a really consistent senior year, though new head coach, a lot of new faces on that team. Um, and then we round out that team with the two Eastern guys. I think Mason Peetling is a no question. you got to get a big guy on there. Yeah. He's a really, really good player. Um, you know, there's a lot of big guys in this league that, that sometimes fill roles that aren't full of stats. Peatling fills that role and also fills it up. I mean, he's a great rebounder, a good free throw shooter. Uh, you can tell he's a dynamic leader. Um, he's just an awesome guy. You know, an Aussie when they've had that connection there at, at Eastern Washington to the Australian pipeline. Um, he's just kind of the next great in that in that series of style of player, uh, which has a really worldly game and a really unique kid as well. I think he's awesome. I love talking to him. I think he was a no-brainer. Then Davidson rounds it out. I think Davidson, and I saw him score 28 in Bozeman last year. Uh, he is he is a player. I mean, when he gets downhill on people, he has bounce and touch and finish uh, really like no one in the league. Uh, I think that Michael Ogine was kind of that guy last year that he didn't know about Davidson, but Davidson's a little bit of that style of athlete. You know, not quite as much bounce, not quite as hyper-athletic, but really has a lot of twitch, and he's a nightmare matchup, and he can shoot the ball a little bit better than maybe the guys I just named. So uh, I think, like you said, shock voting uh, preseason stuff is a little bit easier than, than postseason stuff because there's a little bit less opinion. It's a little bit more of a, a nod to last year, um, and these all look you know, pretty straightforward. Key departures from the Big Sky Conference, MVP Jordan Davis, as well as Tyler Hall, the all-time leading scorer in the history of the Big Sky Conference. Marcus Graves, stellar guard from Sacramento State. Uh, a quartet of seniors from the University of Montana, Jamara Koa, Maude Rory, Michael Ogine, Bobby Moorhead, uh, Breckett Chapman from Weber State, Jesse Hunt from Eastern Washington. Uh, but there's also a whole bunch of key returners uh, coming back, Brandon Boyd's another one you got to mention from from Idaho State because he graduate transferred, so he's not in the league anymore. Um, but some other key returners outside of the guys that did not make the all league list: Cody John at Weaver State has been a guy who's always been able to put the ball in the bucket. Bernie Andre is a very uh, different type of player, a jumping jack type guy that's going to really burn you up with the amount of hustle he is, amount of offensive rebounding. Trayvon Allen's a guy who's just stuck at Idaho because. Everybody else has sort of jumped off the sinking ship. He's going to have to play for a new coach, but he's a guy that's a really skilled guy, really talented guy as well. We mentioned Cameron Lewiton at Southern Utah, but Southern Utah also uh, returns Harrison Butler, who's another one of those unorthodox big sky type players, an energy guy who can really get it done. Uh, so it's going to be a fun league as well. Uh, Brooks, it's good as far as the uh, men's basketball, women's basketball. We'll get way more into this when the polls come out. Give you a full episode about Big State Conference basketball. But right now, let's talk some football. First of all, Montana State last week, uh, they gave up touchdowns on five consecutive possessions to Sacramento State. 
Hornets did whatever they wanted. I thought on both sides of the ball, I thought they were, I thought they exploited Montana State's weaknesses better than anybody has over the last two seasons, and they really rendered Montana State's run game irrelevant in the second half. And they then in turn were able to put massive amounts of pressure on Tucker Rovig and the Montana State passing game. And on the other side, even though the the Cats are doing a pretty good job stuffing the run, they Kevin Thompson just diced Montana State's coverages. And I thought Bryce Turk made an interesting comment when he basically said. Every time on third and long, we weren't in the right play. Uh, it seemed as if Sac State's offense was just a step ahead of Montana State's defense for the entire afternoon. Uh, just schematically and Sac State's ability to exploit Montana State's weaknesses, what did you see on Saturday? Well, I saw just that. I, I, I saw a, a really short script, which is always nice to see in football from Sac State. Uh, they came out and did what they want uh, kind of earlier. I, I probably saw the shortest script I've seen all year. I don't think it meant, went much past eight or ten plays. Um, and then they just went into a chess match. And when you get into a chess match with Troy Taylor, I mean, he's like playing, you know, he's got the Xbox controller in his hand. He's got 2,000 plays ready to roll. And I think the verbiage and terminology of his playbook is clearly um, simplified enough to be able to call things on the fly. I and mean, there was just unique plays that I'm sure that they implemented in Southern practice. But there was times where Montana State had their head spinning you saw five or six guys chasing somebody that didn't have the ball and they would score on the other side of the field i mean it was it was a true a true showing of offensive acumen by by sacramento state they played so physical up front um i think they used a lot of rpo action i jeff choke mentioned you know not, not a lot of high hat pass reads um now you're getting the RPO. You have to take that first step forward because you're getting a run read. Uh, Kevin Thompson's pulling it and throwing the slant. Kevin Thompson's pulling it and throwing into the windows in cover two. Um, I thought that Montana State's linebackers, though they played the run fairly well, uh, you know there were some tackles in the box that they were able to make. I thought overall they were just a step behind. But I think that's a lot of inexperience from from uh, two guys who haven't played much beyond this year in Nolan Ackleson and, and Callahan O'Reilly. Uh, both guys have made strides, but I think overall that was the, the weakness that was shown. It wasn't necessarily corner play, um, even though that position's shallow. There wasn't all that many deep shots taken and succeeded. I think there was probably two that were that I can think of that were one in the middle of the field and one on the, on the, on the sideline um, that Sacramento State completed that was maybe a corner safety combo mistake. But otherwise, I thought it was a lot of the middle of the field stuff. Um, Elijah Dotson, running back for Sacramento State, is an electric player. I mean, I think that... He's one of the best guys I've seen in a while. He's got a perfect body type for the position, the style that he plays. Um, I thought Sacramento State offensively was was pretty dynamic. Montana State comes in the bye week now, and I think that it was so interesting to watch what played out during their five-game winning streak because they found ways to win, and there was times when they just looked lights out. I thought in the third quarter against Southeast Missouri State, they were, uh, they were awesome. Uh, I thought against Norfolk State when they got the run game going – as you'd expect, they dominated the line of scrimmage, but they did it to the tune of a, you know one of the all-time greatest rushing days in the history of the program. Against Northern Arizona, when they're down 17 points in the third quarter, they just scrapped the offense basically and just ran zone read with Travis Johnson, and they rushed for almost 250 yards after halftime, and they rallied from that deficit, and they win going away by scoring 35 straight points. And then against Cal Poly, they finally get a big lead going in the fourth quarter. They're up three touchdowns. They blow it, but then they were able to bow up, and they got a couple tackles for loss to force a field goal that Cal Poly missed. And then again, Travis Johnson punches it in. So on one hand, Montana State showed flashes of how well they can play. On the other hand, 
they have uh, definitely left a lot to be desired, especially given the talent level on their roster. And I think that now Sac State just put out the blueprint of how to exploit Montana State's weaknesses because they are few and far between, but the ones they have are so glaring. So what does Montana State need to do during this bye week uh, to, to get back on track? Because it's not just the fact that they don't have a quarterback. They've also played incredibly sloppy in games. They have put themselves behind the eight ball so often. They've made so many bad mistakes. I mean, the NAU game, they were you could talk about the pick six Tucker Rovick threw, but they were down 21 nothing because of poor execution across the board, a lack of initiative across the board. And I think when you're tough and talented, sometimes that's going to work for you to then turn it on late and come back. But when you're playing a really good Sac State team, that just wasn't the case. They just they they got too far behind and they were not able to flip that switch. So Brooks, in your eyes, what do you think Montana State needs to address during this bye week? There's a lot of stuff that has gone really well for this team, and a lot of stuff I think will continue to go well. I think that they can play poorly and beat a lot of teams in this league and a lot of teams in the FCS just due to talent. Uh, I think Jeff Chope mentioned it. I thought it was quite I was quite surprising that he said it that that. You know, this game they came out and got punched in the mouth. They weren't used to that. Um, they didn't know how to react. It wasn't as easy as they were used to. Um, to have that somewhere in the back of your mind, and not now not in the back of your mind, but in the forefront and on the front page of newspapers, I'm sure, um, saying that, you know, you've thought it has been easy to this point. It's kind of the idea of when you have the big friend and you can run your mouth because you have Bryce Dirk and you have Braden Conkle and you have these guys that you can kind of hide behind. Um, and hope that they can come out and kind of bail you out. Uh, when Troy Anderson's banged up and Isaiah Infante's banged up, defensively that might be true, but offensively that's not true. You can get downhill with Lewis Kidd and Mitch Broad all you want, uh, but if you don't have skill players that are able to get in the open field and, and, and make plays, you're not going to get very far. Uh, so I think overall the biggest changes that they need to make is to get back to their identity and, and, and build some folds uh, like we saw last year um, for Montana State's offense. I think that, you know, I'm not saying that they need to run a bunch of trick plays, but when I say get back to identity, in the first play against Sacramento State offensively, Montana State comes out with a quarterback who has still been unproven to have found his confidence, though he has played fairly well at times. You come out, and the first time that football touches his hand, you're throwing it as the, one of the best running teams in the country and very likely the most dominant running team in the Big Side Conference the last three years. You come out and you throw the ball the first play. That's a, that's a scripted play. You have practiced that the entire week. But that is the first play you're going to run. Why in the world would you ever throw the ball on the first play of the game if you're this team? He sailed it. I couldn't see how high. He sailed it way over the receiver's head. And then there you are. You started with your script and you're already off script. Play one. It makes no sense to me. It puts Tucker Robing in a bad position where he has to take quite a bit of heat for what, in my opinion, would be a quite a, a poor play call. So you get back to, I think you get back to some of your fundamentals. You run a few less personnel groups. There was a time, I believe, in the fourth quarter where Montana State had the ball first and goal, um, and they ended up in this sequence being stopped on fourth and goal. Um, and turning the ball over to Sacramento State, and they ran four different position groups on offense. Every single play, there'd be two guys coming in, two guys coming out. They tried it with Troy Anderson. They tried to run it in with Travis Johnson. They tried to run it in with a running back. They tried again with, with Travis Johnson. It seems that in those kind of situations, if you can't line up mano a mano and win as Montana State, proving the scheme that you have never really had, 
you need to be able to be physical. And if you can't do that, and if you're going to try to out-scheme people, I think that that has, needs to happen in the offseason and not the third week of Big Sky Conference play when you're already down uh, two or three scores to a team that's pretty hot. I think overall you need to get back to your identity. I think that you need to figure out defensively if you're going to play Braden Conkle in the box primarily. I think it really changes the dynamic of their defense when Braden Conkle, they're playing big nickel only, almost play in and play out. Maybe not against Cal Poly, but against Northern Arizona and against Sacramento State, they're playing big nickel only with three safeties on the field. Uh, I agree that Braden Conkle has, has, can play in the box, uh, maybe should play in the box for some teams, but I don't know if that's the best formation that you could have defensively. You lose a little bit of linebacker depth with Michael Jobin being out, Josh Hill being out. Um, on down the line, I still think that defensively you need to be more of a powerhouse defense than running an odd man front with stand-up edge players and a big nickel. It doesn't necessarily play to some of the physicality that I think you could provide, especially on running downs. Um, so all of those things seem to have gotten a little bit away from the identity that this team has proven that they had and has talked about wanting to have. Run the football be more physical on defense by bringing a little bit more pressure. Uh, they, they talked a lot about the RPO game throwing off their pressure looks. They don't run much pressure. They haven't gotten a sack against Northern Arizona. They didn't get a sack against Sacramento State. you got to be able to get to the quarterback with some of these passing teams and some of the elite pass rushers you have. I think that starts with bringing more dynamic looks and pressure, less base coverage on defense. There's a lot there to analyze, no doubt. I thought that uh, Jeff Choate summed it up the best, though. He said that you know, well, it wasn't as easy as we thought it was going to be. Uh, they got hit in the mouth, and then they've been able to strike back whenever that happens, and then it's outlast teams, but that wasn't the case against Sac State. I thought Sac State's D-line, uh, although a little bit undersized, was ferocious. They play incredibly hard, which is not surprising considering Craig Paulson, the former Montana defensive coordinator, is the D-line coach there. Um, but then I, you know, I, I also think that there's a lot of other stuff that's going on. First of all, Troy Anderson's not contributing at the level you needed him to contribute at. I mean, the fact of the matter is Montana State made the playoffs on the back of Troy Anderson last year. And I think that they're sort of re- reaping the side effects of that now because he just has not been healthy since then. They used him so heavily a year ago, and then he's had to endure an offseason filled with injuries and rehab, and he just has not been uh, has not been himself. And I think that uh, – it's a great story to have a guy going both ways, but I just don't know how sustainable it is. And to me, I think you got to play him on offense, but I don't know how you play him on offense if he's not healthy. And right now, you're straight up not getting the production you need out of him anywhere, and it's not his fault. It's because he's not healthy. But also, they're not getting any production out of Isaiah Fonse, who's one of their best players. Uh, Logan Jones went out in the game, so they seem to have hesitancy to turn to some of their younger running backs when they haven't had that hesitancy in the past. So uh, to me, so much of this is also injuries, but more importantly, just not having your best player as a key contributor on your team right now. And I, they just have to figure out a way to change that narrative. Maybe the buy is just what the doctor ordered when it comes to Troy Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny that you just said that you don't know if Troy can go both ways. It's, I mean, absolutely not. I think it's so clear. He never has been able to. It's not a thing. It doesn't happen. And I've, I've said this for, forever. I mean, you know, we can go back two years of podcasting about Troy Anderson and his, his – there is no human, no matter what we want to call this guy, that can take the kind of beating that he's had to take. Uh, and now when you just have to limp through games, I mean, it's not a pretty thing. Last year, Montana State would come out. Troy Anderson would trot in the field at quarterback. And I would be looking down the barrel of my camera, and there would just be this feeling of, oh, shit. 
this guy's on the field, something could happen. Yep. I haven't had that feeling with Montana State period this entire season, which right, is right. really, which is really unique. Every and the only the only game that, that that feeling existed was the first game, and you just happened to be on vacation. So it's right, you haven't actually got a chance to see it this year. And it's true, the mystique and the fear that he strikes into the heart of the other team just isn't there. It's just gone. I mean, if you watch him on film, I mean, he can't. He limps on and off the field. Sure, you might be able to snap the ball, and he might be able to truck some undersized safety, but I mean. Doesn't get anyone anything, especially for only eight yards, and you bang them up even more. But I named that. I thought their linebacker group has underperformed the last couple of weeks, uh, not necessarily for their for what their ceiling is, but just for what the defensive scheme is. I didn't even name Trey Anderson because I don't even consider him to be a factor in that in that room. I mean, he cannot play laterally in a lot of systems. I mean, how many times has he got his hand on the ball this year in coverage? Maybe once. But I see Trey Anderson two pass breakups in Northern Arizona. Yeah, but not much. When he drops, when I see Troy Anderson sidestep and drop, curl the flat and cover three and stand there with no one around him. It's about the dumbest idea I've seen in my life. Like, why would you ever put Troy Anderson in space where no one's going to come near him? Like, this doesn't seem to be a, a factor defensively. I, I don't think he's got the quarterback in, in at least three weeks. I think he might have one sack this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep, one sack Over, against Southeast Missouri State before he got banged up against Western Illinois. Overall, this year, I hear a lot about the diversity of, of playmakers like Coy Steele. I hear from multiple people, Coy Steele can play every position, every receiver position. He can play them all. Yet he has only played one, and it's the slot. And for whatever reason, he has been open, and he has been able to catch touchdowns. I think he has three this season. Four, He's been a dynamic four touchdowns, yep. four touchdowns for, for Coy Steele. And you're telling me that you can't switch and put Travis Johnson in the slot and throw him those same kind of balls? It seems that everyone has this ability to play all these positions, yet everyone gets capped with just doing what everyone already knows they can do. When Travis Johnson lines up on the outside, why isn't Kevin Cassis running a similar route as Coy Steele? Like, I never see Kevin Cassis in the positions I see Coy Steele in. Maybe that's just because Coy Steele's a little bit overlooked when you're covering up those other guys. I just think that longer play-action game, easier throws, and moving playmakers, if you're willing to play anyone at quarterback, why can't anyone play slot receiver? I just want to know where the thinking of on offense, where you're going to stress people. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. What's the thing that stresses the defense the most? Three verticals on the same side. Trips, verticals. It, it overrides every defensive principle there is. If you're in cover two, if you're in cover three, if you're in cover four, if you get trips, you're adjusting pre-snap. And if you get three verticals, you're in man coverage because there really is no other option. Sometimes you can squat and play a little bit of high three, but otherwise you're in man coverage. Those kind of principles that stress the defense, Montana State doesn't even come close to getting into formations that it would show that, let alone running plays out of those formations. And that sort of formational stuff, that's what makes Montana and Sac State so good on offense, right? Absolutely. I mean, you're getting into pre-snap. When the, when the safeties and the linebackers are seeing the formation, there is alerts that pre-snap change your defense due to the, to the, to the danger of what the, the pre-snap is showing. That is a lot of tight end motion. That is a lot of play-action RPO that is, looks like RPO, but it's more just play-action. You're getting low-hat, run-blocking schemes, but you know that you're passing the ball. Less of a decision point, more of a quick slant or a little bit of a bubble screen you know i'd love to see kevin cassis and, and travis johnson run run some i'd love to see kevin cassis and travis johnson run some combo routes run some china run some 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 curl flags i mean there is no 
They, they isolate players in space and make them go in one-on-one situations when there's no flow to the offense. And those players are so talented from time to time, they can make plays. But overall, you have to give looks that are show uh, a, a danger, a, a little bit of a dangerous element to a defense. Where does Montana State go from here? I mean, what, what do you think of just the quarterback situation right now? Because it's so interesting to analyze. Statistically, last week, Tucker Rovick threw more times in a game than he has in his entire career, threw for more yards than he has. But so much of that came late, and so much of it came in garbage time. And um, I don't know. I, Tucker, Rovick did, Tucker Rovick threw more passes than he has all season, yet Corey Anderson took more snaps at quarterback than he, than he has all season, yet – there was not production really of any consequence from either one. How does Montana State manufacture any sort of production at the quarterback position moving forward? I, I, I'm, you know, I've talked so much about what I think about Tucker Rovig's skill set and kind of him as a player and a leader. Um, and I'm not going to do that this week. I, I don't think that it's really fitting. I think that he has a lot of skills that translate well to the, college, the game of college football. I think at any level, um, there are some abilities whether that's his size, whether that is his arm action, that he can play college football. I think he's being put in a really unique situation with a dumbed-down offense, and each week that he performs, or rather the lack of his performance as an offense, him being the leader of an offense that's not performing, they seem to be getting away from, from, they seem to be dumbing it down even more. You know, like Coach Cho talked a lot about this week, how once Logan Jones went out, Shane Perry and and Lane Sumner weren't able to be a part of the, the pass protection scheme. They gave up sacks due to not knowing their pass pro responsibilities. At week six, for guys that have been in the program, I don't even know how that happens. And if that is the case, then you better start running the ball. Those guys have proven the ability to run it. I don't see why you would put them in there for pass pro when they can't protect. Get Ryan Davis in the backfield. Get Derek Snell in the backfield. Create some kind of new fold. These guys are... Uh, this is a college football team, so I'm putting this a lot on the coordinators on both sides of the field. These guys understand schemes because when this team is running at a high level, their schemes are relatively complicated, especially on defense, but offensively as well. So why not? Why can't they, they flex and create something new on the fly that's a new wrinkle, that's a new fold? It seems to me that they're, they're not putting as much uh, trust in the personnel that they have, and they're really trying to just kind of hold on for dear life. I think that's a trademark of Jeff Choate. I think that that's been a lot of, of his tenure has been a little bit of hesitancy to really let it all out there, you know, keep running the football because that seems safer. So when they get behind, and they get behind the sticks especially, some of those safety nets continue to be there when at some point you have to let it, let it all out because you have Division One players with the same amount of scholarships everyone else is playing. It seems that their offense has not progressed schematically and defensively they've they've kind of dumbed it down the last three weeks as well the most wide open i saw montana state's offense look during this 2019 calendar year was during a two-day span during fall camp when they were on deitch field and they were using all the grass and the young quarterbacks blake thielen and ruben beltran and johnny knight were throwing the ball all over the place and they threw a whole bunch of back shoulder down the field completions you had guys like you know, Peanut Monroe and Jaden Smith and some of the young receivers, Mark Estes, making big catches. And then those young quarterbacks, they threw a couple picks too. And Jeff Choke sort of joked about it after practice one day when we asked him about it. He said, you know, those young guys, 
they're not in a quarterback competition, so they have a lot more of the gunslinger mentality, take shots down the field, and they know if they make a mistake, okay, just back to square one. And to me, that's one of the most undertold factors of this entire quarterback saga at Montana State. Since, I mean, the narrative from the media, the narrative from the people that analyze this stuff has been, if Montana State can just find a quarterback who doesn't lose them a game, they're going to be in the money because they got a great offensive line, they're going to be able to run the ball, they got Troy Anderson, they got Travis Johnson, and they got a lights-out defense. Well, now we've reached this point where just managing the game, just not throwing a pick isn't good enough. I mean, people talk about Tucker Rovick's pick at the end of the first drive in the game on Saturday. The Cats actually bowed up and got a stop and forced a punt right away. So the the pick was largely inconsequential, maybe not to his confidence, maybe not to uh, you know him looking out the side of his eye the rest of the game because he did take a hard hit on the backside, but that's here nor there. To me, I just think that Casey Bauman wasn't as good as he could have been and you weren't using him as to his maximum potential the first three games of the year because he was so dead set on not throwing a pick. And Rovig now, I mean, Jeff Choate took full blame for the pick six, pick six against NAU. He said, hey, that was the read that we had in. That was where Tucker was supposed to deliver the ball. And to me, if you have a predisposed read and then all of a sudden the defense is different than what you expected, that's what's going to happen. You're going to throw a pick six almost every time. So to me, it just seems like Despite you can like you said, you can talk about all the the physical shortcomings or the mental shortcomings of inexperienced quarterbacks, but to me, so much of it comes down to just the mentality that they're playing with. It all it almost seems as if they were to let it rip a little bit more, they'd actually have a chance for more success. That's one thing you can never discard Chris Murray about, right? Is that Chris Murray? He did throw a fair amount of picks, but there was times where Chris Murray let it rip, and I, these guys just haven't let it rip yet this year at all. And I don't know if that's because of fear of losing their spot or if it's instructions from the coaches, but there is a fair amount of hesitancy on the offense across the board. It, there is, man. And, and Chris Murray was a, was a running threat. I mean, this, this, I, just, I cannot believe that a team that runs a hybrid RPO-style triple option out of the gun ever would recruit 6'7 quarterback and a 6'5 quarterback with, with interesting styles of delivery, one with a live arm, one with an average arm, when you have the plus one run game as a DNA portion of your program, that's the whole problem take- here, though, right? Is that they made that a DNA portion of their program because they that's here's the thing they've never known what they actually want to be on offense. That's why they're in the specific situation that they're in because they wanted to be some sort of take shots down the field, Boise State style offense with Tyler Brugman at the helm. That didn't work out, so then they had to pivot and run a completely different style of offense. And then all of a sudden, they were basically captive to be a Q a Q gun run team for more for two years. And then Chris Murray is ineligible, so then all of a sudden it turns into a three year deal. And then all of a sudden, though, then you're recruiting other guys on the back end for something completely different. And I just feel like that's where the, all the development has fallen short. Is that they've never really had a chance to develop as a full offense as what they want to be because what they've wanted to be and what they are and what they could be has been do- totally different things for multiple years. Yeah, I I agree with that. But, I mean, going back, it's been, it's been pre-cop before. Denarius McGee was a guy that could run it. It's been a part of the program for a really long time. I mean, it's been part of the program for 10 of the last 12 years. Right. And the the, the times it wasn't was the times that were unsuccessful. But, right. uh, the, Travis Soule ran Bleskin, all over the place too. Travis, it's been a part of the program for a really long time. The Jake Bleskin saga, uh, you know, bless his heart against that in that Grizz game. Don't want to see that happen to anyone. But you know, a pocket passer—that's what you get right there from Montana State that season. Then you move to Tyler Brugman. 
that's what you get when you have a pocket passer. Well, I mean, I just don't get the the idea of, of getting away from that. Uh, right now, again, uh, you have to become more diverse on offense or you have to do one thing. I would either put Travis Johnson at quarterback and run the shit out of the ball, or you have to start implementing things that I know Matt Miller knows, things that I know that he has talked to guys like Kellen Moore about. You have to start implementing some danger formations. You have to start implementing some trips formations, close side tight end on the, on the right side to the boundary. Run it to the close side tight end a couple times. Then run something in your trip scheme. Run. There is so many different sit-down option routes. You don't even have to have the option. You can run uh, a slant sit-down, a curl, a curl with a running back flag. I mean, you can run so many different concepts that are five- and six-yard passes, but that you will override defense. When you have trips and you see the defense, they have to make an adjustment to be able to deal with the vertical. And then you can see what they're in. If they stay single high, you can tell what they're in. If they move to double high safety, you can tell what they're in. Right now, they literally are so vanilla that defenses can really bring fire pressure from a million different angles, and they have no ability to deal with it considering that the play is so non-diverse that the defense can get home so quickly. I said this on Two Tell and Was earlier this week, but I thought that that Saturday was the most revelatory game that I have covered of the Jeff Choate era just because Montana State was getting by and at times looking so good despite their weaknesses. But then you saw how so much of what they have as advantages can be completely negated if their weaknesses are exploited. On that element... What does Montana State need to do to turn the corner? I mean, th- this this is still a, a top ten playoff team if they figure things out. Will they do it? Yeah, I mean, I think the schedule bodes. And I said it early in this podcast. I think that I think that just with their natural skill and physicality, that if they you know if if they get in a street fight, like what they want to do a lot of the time, they're going to beat people down. I mean, the schedule plays out. You know, when you play Northern Colorado and Southern Utah. Which is, which is not a knock against either of those teams. I mean, they're just undermanned compared. The physicality of, of what the Cats can bring and should bring against two teams like that, you need to chalk up two wins right there. Um, I, 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 think, I think they all need to get back to, and it starts with Jeff Choate, the confidence level that we're going to kick your ass. And you can yep. see that waning. And when Jeff Choate talks about their weaknesses so openly, I appreciate that deeply as a journalist, uh, as a student of the game and someone who sits front row and listens to him preach, I appreciate the honesty. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend it or agree with it. I would not go about it that way in my personal life or as the head coach of a college football team, but I am not that. I do appreciate it coming from him, but he it starts from the top down. Matt Miller is a kick-your-ass kind of guy. Kane Ione, who knows what he is as a defensive coordinator yet. I still think the sample size is too small. Last week was not a good look on the resume. We'll still give that to the end of the season to see. I know that Matt Miller and Jeff Choate are kick-your-ass guys. I know Byron Houghton and and Brian Armstrong and a a lot of the guys on that staff are too. And They need to get back to that mentality. You see guys like Jared Padmos dropping snaps and kicking the ball out of uh, 10 yards out of bounds. All that stuff is just a mentality thing. It's just a a confidence thing. I think they need to get back to the basics, and and that starts with we're going to kick your ass in every phase. If Jared Padmos is dropping the snap and, and botching punts, it drops everyone's confidence. That's just a small piece of the puzzle. And that kind of that that metaphor is happening at multiple positions on the field. 
I think the bye week probably came a week too late. You get out of Cal Poly, you know, by the skin of your teeth, and then you wish the bye was right there so that you could reevaluate. This, you know, they caught a sack team, sack state team that was hot. I don't think that it's necessarily the narrative of their season. I think it was more of a little blip on the radar that was kind of a bad matchup at a bad time. I do think they'll get back on track. I do think that they're still even a borderline top eight seeded team, uh, depending how Cat Grizz plays out. But you know, you're, you have a culmination that really starts now of four weeks leading up to the biggest game. Uh, you know, one of the biggest rivalry games in, in, in the history of this game, uh, in the history of the, the battle for the Great Divide Trophy. Uh, both teams should, should, in theory, surge to that point. We always analyze this through the scope of the fact that we ex- just expect these teams to be elite because that's just the, the place that they should assume in the FCS. And like we always say, being pretty good, you know, being a guy that's you know, good enough to start at Montana or Montana State, that's great individually and stuff like that, but you have to be so good across the board and you got to have your great players playing great. And I think that's the thing that Montana State needs to turn the corner at the most. They need to get some of their best players back, namely Troy Anderson and Isaiah Infante. They need to get Munchie Filer back to full strength. But also, they straight up just need their better players to play their best. Like We haven't seen Braden Conkle play his best yet. We haven't seen Jacque Allen play his best yet. We have, we've seen Bryce Sturck play his best against Norfolk State. We need Bryce Sturck to play his best uh, in, a, in a Big Sky Conference game. I think Chase Benson and Derek Marks are playing close to their best right now, and they, they've been the most consistent guys on that Bobcat defense. I think some of the young linebackers, you know, they, they have been good considering they're so inexperienced, um, but they just they need some of their best guys to play their best. We've seen Mitch Brock play his best, but he was not at his best on Saturday against Sac State. We've seen the offensive line in general, but they were not at their best on Saturday. Uh, and I, I think we've seen Travis Johnson be the one who's the most consistently at his best the last several weeks. But he's only one guy, so how do they get everybody else to be playing their best as well? I think that's going to be one of the keys coming out of this body. Hey, when you just said, I mean, Brady Conkle needs to be playing his best, he's playing a brand-new position. I mean, like, God forbid you play the guy who's the first-team all-league kind of guy at a different position. Like, Jacques Allen needs to play his best. He's playing next to a, a guy that plays the same position as him. They're both post-safeties, and now one of them has to play more in the box when that's not what they do. Some of that kind of stuff, the plug-and-play mentality that I've always been against and and, and uh, critic of, is it, it plays out with what you just said. The other note that I want to say uh, in in relation to what what you just said is Isaiah Infante and Troy Anderson are not coming back, and they're not going to be healthy. There is no timetable that you can get those guys healthy in a football season. It's not going to happen. Uh, I hope I'm wrong because those are guys I love to watch. I like to cover success. I don't like to cover struggling teams that you know that fall down before the finish line. I just think we can go back. You know, earlier this season, I talked a lot about the anatomy of the style of knee that Isaiah Infante has. He's bow legged. He the way that he runs, I can see it from a million miles away that he's prone to knee injury and to knee wear just due to his anatomy. Uh, the thing that I've schooled on and that I know about, and boom strain PCL. You know, partially torn is what I've been told because that's what a strain is. Those kind of things don't heal. You can't change that dynamic. Troy Anderson's high ankle sprain dating back to even last year on the same knee that he had injured and by all accounts I thought was quite a bad injury on a shoulder surgery that he had had only at this point nine months ago. Those kind of injuries are year plus long injuries that he's trying to fight through. I don't think that changes which is the really hard part 
I think right now it's it's not a panic situation, but I think that you you have to find playmakers immediately. You have to get some guys going like Shane Perry um, and get Travis Johnson in a better position to succeed because I think that that's all that they're going to have. Transitioning quickly to the Grizz. Montana, number five in the country. They play at number 15, Sacramento State. You saw the Sac State team live and in person last week, Brooks. You saw the Grizz two weeks ago. These are the two best offenses in the league, two of probably the five best offenses in the entire country. Uh, huge testament to Bobby Houck for recruiting both of these guys, UNLV, Kevin Thompson at Sac State, Dalton Sneed at Montana. And now the two former UNLV Rebels go head-to-head uh, in a crucial Big Sky showdown, probably the game of the week in the league, and one of the games of the year, honestly. Uh, so matchup-wise, break this one down. How do you see this one playing out? Well, it should be high scoring. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd put the over/under. I don't know what Vegas has it at right now, but it, it should be pretty high. I bet you it's in the mid sixties. Um, Montana is really dynamic on offense. They they're impressive. They're the kind of offense that I'm talking about that is a living thing. It's not a scripted ideal. It's not a script, and it's also not an ideal of we need to get back to running it. It's truly a system, and um, those kind of systems. They already, for I don't know how, but this a lot of this team has already mastered that system. I thought Marcus Knight, the, the junior college transfer at running back, has played really well. I was quite impressed with him. I thought his physicality, his overall body type was 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 impressive when we watched uh, we watched them against Idaho State. You know the best the best group of receivers in the league, one of the best groups of receivers we've seen in a while. I think you know Jerry Lee McGee is kind of the flagship guy in that group. But then Sammy Kim, by all by all accounts, I mean I would love to see the guy who's better than him. You know, we just got done watching Keelan Doss, and we got done watching Emmanuel Butler, and we got done watching Cooper Cup. How Cup's a little bit different in his college game, more in the slot. I think Sammy Kim is just as good, if not better, than this, than Doss and Butler. A very similar style, but I think he has more more giddy up. Um, he's got he's got more want to. He's an impressive athlete. So I think that offensively, with the offensive line getting a little bit better and building a, uh, the scheme and the system starts to kind of adapt to that offensive line to cover up a little bit of the weaknesses that they have. Um, the Grizz are dynamic on offense and on defense. They run such a cool system with really zero rotation, except a little bit on the defensive line. The guys they bring in are fresh and, and ready. Um, I was impressed with their edge players. Uh, the linebackers are guys that have been around and we are familiar with. But I thought their edge players could cause some problems for teams, especially because of the depth. I think that that matches up. That's a unique matchup with SAC. Um, I think Kevin Thomas. I think Kevin Thompson is a really, really dynamic player. He's a lot like Dalton Sneed. He doesn't have the arm strength. He doesn't push the ball down the field in the same fashion, but he can run it, and he also has um, the ability to, to really understand offense, find pace with an offense. Um, he seemed like a true veteran out there, which you'd expect from a six-year junior. Uh, I think the biggest thing that plays into this game is beating Montana State, beating Eastern Washington, and then playing the Grizz so tough last year in Missoula, a game that we were at as well. When you play a team as tough as they did last year, I think you have confidence because you know the personnel. You did it on their home field, albeit a loss. They still ran for it, and you can, you can say the stat. I mean, it was something like 285, 290 yards uh, last year there in Missoula. I think that gives that, a team a lot of confidence, uh, especially you know, inviting someone down on your home, homecoming. I think it's by easily the game of the week. Um, I think the Grizz probably have a slight edge just due to that they're both so hot. I think the Grizz have a little bit more talent, especially on the outside on offense. Uh, it'll be a great test for Sac State 
uh, especially in the secondary, um, and their pass rush. We'll see, you know, how Montana State or how Montana's offensive line holds up against a true pass rush, which with pass rush, which I do not think that they have seen the style that Stack State's going to bring. Uh, a lot of cover me, like Jeff Choke called. Cover me, slide three guys over towards George Obina. He widens out to the wide nine. He looks you in the face and says, this is one-on-one, bud. Good luck. George Obina gets after people. I think that'll be a, an interesting matchup to watch with a little bit of inexperience at tackle for Montana. Great stuff, Brooks. As always, we appreciate it. SkyWatSportsMT.com. Check us out. Big Sky Breakdown, presented in part by Town Pump and Selway Armory. Drive safe out there, my man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me again. Golter, we know that in Montana there's a lot of hunters, a lot of gun enthusiasts, so you might as well shop local when you're looking for your next firearm or accessory, huh? Soy Army, they got the best prices around and the best service you'll find anywhere. As the guys over there will tell you, shop with Soy Army for a year, we guarantee you, you'll save some money. The other thing is they have great knowledge. There's a lot of questions that people have about the right styles and types to suit them and what it is that they're trying to do. and. All the guys over at Selway Armory know their firearms and ammunition and accessories inside and out. With locations in both Missoula and Bozeman, Selway Armory has some specialty products as well, including full Sig Sauer inventory for your best in handguns and much, much more. Like Coulter said, two brick-and-mortar locations, one in Missoula, one in Bozeman, and also online, tremendous inventory there. They'll ship everything you want, selwayarmory.com. We go now to the Rangish Brothers RV phone line for our Opportunity Bank Coaches Corner. We welcome in the first-year head coach of the Sacramento State Hornets, Troy Taylor. Coach, thanks so much for taking the time out with us. We know it's always a busy week when it's game week, but sandwiched between both Montana schools, that's pretty good. So we appreciate you coming on with us. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for thanks for having me. You bet. Well, I would think you're doing pretty great. Undefeated against FCS competition, number 15 team in the nation, uh, first ranked team for Sacramento State since 2011. I realize that's kind of all exterior to probably what you're focused on and all that, but why has it been going so well for you in your first year at Sacramento? Well, I think, uh, you know, to start off with, when we got here, uh, the kids, just bought in and uh, they were very hungry to be successful and willing to do really whatever we asked them to do. So that, that was a great start. And then uh, I guess before that, just being able to hire the coaching staff um, that we have here, it's just an outstanding staff. And, you know, Andy Thompson, of course, a Montana kid um, or played there um, as our defensive coordinator is phenomenal. And then Craig Polson and other, uh, Montana, old Montana guys, our defensive line coach, and he's he's phenomenal. Jeremy LaPant, our special teams coach, also went to Montana. So, um, and a bunch of other guys that are just outstanding that really love being around uh, student athletes. Really bright staff, um, and uh, I think that's been the the main thing. And then you know we've stayed healthy somewhat, and um, and, and and had some some uh, great preparation and. Our guys are executing all those things that kind of make up a successful, you know, team have, have happened. Your offensive acumen and and your offensive play calling ability has been well chronicled and and already had a reputation at the collegiate level, both from your time at Eastern Washington, your time at University of Utah. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned those guys with the Montana ties and the deep Big Sky ties. Why was that important to you to hire guys that did know the league well and that had come from a successful program like Montana? Yeah, I think it was really important. You know, I think. Having a familiarity, obviously, with the the big guy, I think, was really important. 
but besides that, it was really having a like-minded vision. Um, I really like guys that are that are really competitive, but super positive, and just kind of believe anything's possible. They enjoy what they're doing. Um, you know, we don't we don't look at it as a grind around here. We really feel lucky to get paid to coach football and be around these student athletes and. We enjoy every moment. There's nobody dragging their feet around here talking about the grind of the season. Uh, we we really love it. And, and those guys that you mentioned all have that personality. So um, that's where it all began. And then obviously the big sky ties. And then uh, to top it all off, they're all really, really bright guys um, that uh, know how to prepare student athletes in the right way. So it was uh, I was very lucky to have all the, uh, to be able to hire all those guys. Andy Thompson always been a good friend of this show and a, a good friend of Skyline Sports and all the different coverage outlets that we've had. A great dude, and I always love talking football with him. But he, the way he's evolved as a defensive coach, I thought his comment yesterday uh, to us was was interesting and spot on. He said, sometimes you can just sit there and you can get hit, or you can be the one that swings back, you can be the aggressor. <laughs> and it seems as if his aggressive style of defense fits perfectly with your offensive style. What do you think of just the marriage between the, the two uh, styles you guys like to play on each side of the ball? It's uh, Now you hit it on the nail right there. I mean, he, he's been an unbelievable um, addition to this staff. Um, you know, I knew who he was. Obviously, he's very well respected all over the country. Um, and then when we talked on the phone, really for the first time ever talking, um, I just kind of just told him about my, my vision and, and he just listened. And, uh, you know, I try to be as transparent as possible with that. Cause I don't, when guys get here, I don't want it to be different than what they, they thought. And, um, he really connected with it. And I gotta be honest with you, man, it, it feels like we've been friends for like 30 years. You know, I've become really, really close. He's like, you said, he's an unbelievable person, exceptionally sharp. Um, his football mind and his familiarity with different defenses and offenses has been a huge help for us on our offensive side of the ball. And then you, you said it, um, it's a really good marriage in terms of uh, his philosophy on offense. We're, we're an attacking style. We're not going to uh, fear getting people hurt or getting the quarterback hurt, or um, we're just going to attack in different ways that we can and be the aggressor. And he does the exact same thing on defense. So, um, he has full. He and his staff have full autonomy on that defensive side of the ball. Um, I give them no input because they're so talented and they know what they're doing so well. I just tell them go out and do your thing, you know. And if we have any struggles on defense, those guys are smart enough to figure it out and adapt. The best thing I can do is just um, leave them alone and let them do their thing. I think really good people don't like to be micromanaged, so I just stay out of their way. Um, and I just work on scoring points or trying to score points and, and, and then uh, kind of manage the team. But um, he's been exceptional and in uh, more ways than one. Yeah, well, you guys got to be good friends because 48 hours after talking on the phone, he was living with you, from what I understand. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, that's pretty open communication, I would think, right there. Uh, pretty good. Troy Taylor joining us. He's the head coach of Sacramento State. Sacramento State, the number 15 team in the nation, hosting the University of Montana this Saturday. And, Coach, we want to talk about uh, Kev- Kevin Thompson, who we have had on now a couple of times as well. And we know how talented that he's been. Obviously, you know, some of the terrible injuries that he's endured, but he's playing at an extremely high level. How much, how big a deal was that to know that he was in place when you were thinking about maybe trying to take this job? And what have you been able to do with him that maybe has, has taken him even to another level this season? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the first time I met with him, we, he, he walked in the office and he just found out that day 
coincidentally that he had two years remaining in addition to what, you know, he was a, was a senior. So that doesn't happen very often. So that was good news. You know, they anticipated that he'd get one, but he ended up getting two NCAs, you know, a little kinder in that area. So we were the beneficiary of that, but uh, Kevin's fantastic. He starts with his attitude and his work ethic. Um, he takes very seriously. Um, and and uh, because of that, I think his teammates really respect him. He has been through a lot injury-wise, but he's uh, Ryan Dietrich, our, our strength and conditioning coach, has done a great job strengthening him and his mobility and all those things. So he stayed healthy, and a uh, big part of that has been our offensive line has done a great job of protecting him, of giving him time to throw, and you can just see his confidence has grown each week where he's, he's not thinking, he's just playing. Um, and uh, that's the whole key to great sports performance is when you kind of get out of your own way and let your instinct take over and that's our goal with our quarterback is that they don't think a lot. They just play. They go through the progression and don't doubt themselves, um, play with a lot of confidence and a lot of instinctiveness. Um, and he's done that. And he's making great decisions. And, he's, you know, in our offense, honestly, if our quarterback doesn't play well, we're probably not going to win. Our team won't win. Um, so it puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And he's played really well. So it's going to give us a chance every week if he continues to play like that. Last week specifically against Montana State, you guys seem to be one step ahead schematically uh, for the entire game. And Jeff Choate said as much after the game and in his press conference on Monday, said that you guys just had them schemed up. You knew the weaknesses. You attacked them thoroughly and efficiently. Uh, what did you think of just the overall execution last week, and how do you carry that over into this week, uh, a big matchup against the Grizzlies against a much different style of defense? Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, you know, Montana State is a very good football team and incredibly well coached on all, all three phases of the game. So, you know, it's just one of those days that we, we executed well and play, our quarterback played really well. So, um, you know, in terms of this this week, these guys are another great challenge, another team that's really well coached. Uh, they do, they're a little unorthodox in what they do defensively, um, but it's very sound and it's very challenging. Um, you know, Kent Bear was actually my defensive coordinator when I was a player at Cal, so that's the kind of experience he has. He's been around for a while. He's a sharp guy. Um, you know, we got our work cut out for us, no doubt. This is a very proud and um, uh, incredibly uh, great tradition of a program that expects to win, expects to have success. They'll come in here well-prepared, and uh, we're excited to have them, but we know it's going to be a, a great game. You know, we are uh, six games into the season, and we've watched every Montana game. We're still trying to figure out exactly what in the world's going on defensively. They have that funky 3-3 base with five yeah. DBs and that. But <laughs> when when you look at it, I mean, you're the pro, for goodness sake. We <laughs> defer to you. So what, what, what is it, though, that, that, that Montana does defensively that is so unorthodox? Well, they just they, the way they do it, you know, it's kind of a, uh, if you're familiar with Rocky Long at San Diego State, it's, you know, kind of, kind of, it's a version of that. Um, they're adding different different guys into the box. I mean, there's there's about three or four guys that can can be added in the box, and it makes it challenging because you're trying to account for everybody in the run game. Um, and then there's a variation of ways that they can bring pressure, um, and so it keeps you off balance. There's no question, and it it, it, it because it's a little unconventional um, in a good way, I think. Um, you know, it's hard to prepare because it's it's not like the team you played the week before, or two weeks before, that are really similar. So, you know, hopefully we're that way on offense. Where when you you play us, we're a little bit a little bit different. That's the goal, at least, so that uh, 
you feel a little bit uh, anxious or have a little bit of anxiety because we're different. But that's certainly the way Montana is on defense is you play them and you're like, well, they're different than most teams. And I think that creates uh, a, a challenge for you offensively. Just the overall scope of this matchup, you guys defeated the highest-ranked team Sac State has ever defeated a year uh, last last week against Montana State, number six team in the country. First win at Bobcat Stadium since 1991. Like Ryan and I were saying, you'd be hard-pressed to find any team ever in the Big Sky Conference that played and defeated Eastern Washington, Montana State, and Montana in consecutive weeks. But you guys are on the brink of doing that now with Montana coming to your house. What do you think of just the magnitude of this matchup with the number five team in the FCS coming to Sacramento? Yeah, you know, we, we're we're pretty pretty focused on the process. It's kind of the only way we know how to do it. Um, so we're, we're we move on quickly from wins, and we and we do the same thing on losses. I just I don't think spending a lot of time reliving a loss or celebrating a victory. I think we try to, you know, obviously the locker room's a different environment, you know, after a win. There's no question about that. But um, I think my job and our staff's job is to be the same guys regardless of what happens. And so we've been able to to maintain that. We've, we've made a promise to our players that we'd be the same way on Sunday, a win or a loss. We're going to tell them the truth. We're going to look at the tape. Uh, but you guys know shoot, you can play a great game and lose, and you can play horribly and win. So um, we try to move on. Those were great wins, but we're, we're, you know, we're totally in this moment and mindful that we have a huge challenge coming up on Saturday, and we'll play it and we'll enjoy it. Um, we'll see what happens, and then we'll move on to whoever we play next. But you know, you just can't get get caught up in, in thinking too much, too far back or too far in the future. Sacramento State head coach Troy Taylor joining us. And, Coach, last question for you, and it's it's kind of broad. I don't normally ask this, but I'd like to ask it to you. In, a, in your first year as a head coach, you know, in the Big Sky Conference, you have a reputation, and, uh, you know, that precedes you to an extent but hadn't done it at the Big Sky level before in terms of being a head coach. You talked about buy-in at the beginning, and a lot of coaches talk about that, but it doesn't happen all the time. How is it that you were able, both to your players and especially to your staff, because you did get a great staff together, were you able to, I hate to use the word sell, but but present yourself and your vision in such a way that they believed you because everybody thinks they want to do that, but not everybody's capable of that. Why are you able to do that? I don't know. That, that's a really great question. Um, and I, I, I do think it's about, um, you know, explaining and articulating your vision. And, uh, and I only think it really works if you're authentic about it. And I spent a lot of time, uh, and I think it's really more of a discovery process of figuring out what makes you tick, what, what's your philosophy, what do you believe in. Uh, you can't make it up. It's got to be something that's sincere. People won't buy it or they won't buy into it. So I spent a lot of time uh, you know, over the past probably 14 years trying to figure out what I'm all about and what I believe in the the football aspect and competing and what I, what I discovered is that for, for me and now for our staff and our team is that it's all about love. We, we love playing football. We love competing. We love being here. And so I tried to attract those same type of people as coaches and listen, you know, we all originally got in or most of us got into playing sports because we loved it because it was fun. And somewhere along the line, it's been lost a little bit at the collegiate level where it's become kind of a business and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And I guess what we're trying to do is we're trying to enjoy it. We're trying to have fun. Don't get me wrong. We, we want to win. 
Um, we put a tremendous amount of preparation and we're demanding and detailed and disciplined and all those things. But at the end of the day, we're playing a game. You know, we're not, we're not finding the cure for cancer. We're trying to score points, and entertain people and have a good time doing it. And I just do not think that uh, people operate as well under stress. So I try to alleviate stress or staff tries to, um, we try to build people up and we hold them accountable and all those things. But I guess that's been it. And it's just my sincere uh, belief in this vision that we can do it this way. Um, and the kids have bought into it. And, you know, it's it's been fun. Well, Coach, it's certainly been fun to watch. I can tell you that. We were there Saturday, and we're certainly looking forward to this game this coming Saturday. Best to you uh, throughout this week and the rest of the season. And, and, and you got a great team, so you're going to be there at the end. We're really looking forward to it. Congratulations, and, and thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. That was fun. Hey, Coulter, Town Pump is across the state of Montana, just like Skyline Sports MT for that matter. Well, Skyline Sports across the globe, Tutel Nuanas across the state. Okay, back to Town Pump. I get it. All right. Seems like you can't turn anywhere in Montana without seeing a Town Pump. Like they say, there's one right down the road, and they got you covered no matter what you need. That's right. Gas and convenience stores, of course, the best and nicest convenience stores. Excellent bathrooms, I might add, which I appreciate very much at Town Pump. But also, if you're looking for a little leisure time, leisure activities, the casinos, the liquor stores, they have everything that you need. Great prices on beer and wine, all the snacks and food you could ever want. Town Pump Food Stores, Montana's best since 1953. We go now to the Rangish Brothers RV phone line, and we welcome in the quarterback of the Sacramento State Hornets, the now number 15 team in the nation, Kevin Thompson, back on the show with us. Kevin, thanks so much for being with us. Congratulations on a huge win on Saturday. You guys were uh, you know, fantastic in that football game. You're the Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Week, so congratulations there. Just briefly, I know you're looking ahead to Montana, but what works so well for you against Montana State Saturday? Yeah, th- uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, and, and and thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, we just I think we just you know executed at a really high level. You know, after that first drive that we that we started and we went three and out, but then after that we just offensively speaking just executed. Uh, everyone was really just doing their job. All of the guys on the field, and and I don't, we didn't really have any any glaring penalties or or any uh, mental mistakes. Um, so we just played really well. And, and of course, the defense is lights out, uh, once again. And of course, uh, when they're playing like that, it makes our job, you know, a lot easier. And, and, uh, when they're only giving up, you know, they gave up 21 points, but really like kind of 14 points, if you think about it, mm-hmm. um, throughout most of that game. So, uh, yeah, just great overall team performance. And, uh, just a lot of fun going out there and, and coming home with a win. Seems like you guys had some pretty specific scouting of Montana State in terms of weaknesses that you thought you could exploit, and then it seemed like you guys were able to exploit those pretty darn well. It seemed like your your offense was never really out of rhythm. You guys seemed like you were just locked in for the duration, especially in those middle two quarters where you guys scored on five straight possessions. What specifically did you guys find in Montana State's defense that you thought you could have some success against? Well, we thought, you know, they're a really good defense. They're kind of one of those teams. They, they got some size. Um, so, uh, and they got some talented football players. We we felt like if we could mix things up and, and give them looks and, and move into different formations that they haven't seen a lot this year and, and motion guys and, and try to get them having to communicate a lot with, with guys going in motion, then we thought that would, would give them a tough time. And, uh, you know, it, it proved 
to do so. And we were able to kind of execute um, our offense really well, you know, with all the motions and, and going on a silent cadence. Uh, and the O-line played great. Um, again, just the kind of everything starts up front. And when they're able to protect the way they do and run block the way they do, um, you know, we're bound to have success because it just allows me to, to go through all my reads um, without feeling pressured or worried about, about getting hit or anything. And so uh, just our, our play up front really kind of was the catalyst to that game. You know, Kevin, you guys have been playing so well all season long and clearly been playing with a lot of confidence. But for the first time since 2011, Sacramento State is now nationally ranked and at 15 at that, uh, a really good ranking and, and continuing on. It's It feels different, doesn't it, when all of a sudden there's national, not so much the recognition, but the belief from the outside that Sacramento State's a good team. What's it like to be the quarterback of that team right now, the way you guys are going? Yeah, it definitely it definitely feels a little different different and um but that's something that the outside, you know, the rankings, the the attention, you know, it's great and everything. But uh man, we we still got a really long season ahead and and we got we got to put everything we have in, into uh into Montana this week so so we really just focused on on us as a unit and and kind of trying to block out, you know, all all the extra noise and, and all the hype um, cuz it's only been you know, two conference games, man. We got, there's, we still got a tough, really tough schedule moving forward. But we, uh, we're putting everything we got into Montana right now, and and we're very confident as a team, and, and we think, you know, we could beat anyone that's on our schedule. I've, I've said this before. I think this is, you know, last time I was on, but uh, that's just something that that we've always believed every game going in this year that that we had a sh- that we had a shot and that we were going to be competitive, and I think we've done that so far. So. You know, we're just playing with a lot of confidence, having a lot of fun, and, uh, you know, just trusting the process and, and trying to get better each day. I remember talking to Brian Berger, Sports Information Director at Sac State at the uh, Big Sky Kickoff Media Days in Spokane, and he was saying, man, you look at the preseason poll, and number one through number eight are the eight teams that we have to play. <laughs> Sac State gets <laughs> one through eight. But you guys have already taken down Eastern Washington, a team that played for the national championship last year. You've already taken down Montana State which was the highest-ranked team at number six in the country that Sac State has ever defeated. Uh, now you got Montana, maybe the most storied program of the last 25 years in the Big Sky Conference. So just playing the three sort of big boys in the league right off the bat, when you guys were coming into this year, did you look at this stretch and point to it as a key stretch? And how have you guys been able to have the sense of belief like you talk about when you are playing some of the th- three of the premier schools in the league? Oh, yeah. Um you know, we definitely we definitely knew, you know, what our schedule was. We knew it was probably one of the toughest schedules in the FCS, um, if not the toughest in the big sky for sure. But um I think we really look looked at it as as a challenge that we, that we wanted to take on. Uh you know, you gotta you gotta beat the best teams, you know, if you wanna be the best. So it just makes sense to play to play all the top teams in the conference and um you know, we're just we're really trying to it, it really forces you to, to stick to our philosophy of just taking it one day at a time and, and, and focusing on the current opponent because, you know, to get too sidetracked looking forward, you know, someone's going to come in and punch you in the mouth. So it's really forced us to be extremely focused on, on what we're doing in the now and in the moment. Um, and, and that's Coach Taylor's, you know, big focus and philosophy. And, and I think as a team, we've done that really well. And we want to continue to do that moving forward. 
Um, it's really helped us be a more disciplined, more mature team. And, uh, you know, we've been having a little bit of success because of that. We, we'd like to carry that, you know, throughout the rest of the season. Kevin Thompson joining us. He's the quarterback of the Sacramento State Hornets. He's also the uh, Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Week and now uh, the QB of the number 15 team in the nation, welcoming Montana on Saturday evening. And uh, the football world is a small one, Kevin, and there you are, a <laughs> recruit back in the day by the now Montana head coach Bobby Houck when he was at UNLV. What we, we talked about this a little bit before, but what do you remember about Bobby Houck as as a recruiter and and uh, and what you thought of him, you know, then as a coach and now today when you're going to go face him on Saturday? Yeah, it's a it's a really small world, the, the football community. Um, I've learned over the years, and uh, yeah, coach Coach Houck's a, a great recruiter. He's he, he's probably one of the best, in, in my opinion. Uh, just really personable guy, you know, really can connect connects with the family you know you know you get real excited when, when i just remember being in high school you know the idea of going and playing for coach Houck at unlv you just get you fired up and excited excited to be there um yeah i still have a good relationship with coach Houck. obviously you know we don't talk much he's, he's a coach in within the conference so uh sure you know we, we still got to compete against each other but you know i could go year two years three years without seeing him and when i saw him at the you know, Big Sky kickoff is just like, you know, just like I'd seen him last week, you know, it was, it was great seeing him, you know, asking how the family's doing. So, you know, I, saw, I have a lot of respect um, for Coach Howe, uh as a coach and a man, you know, I think he's a great coach, um, even better dude. And he he gave me the opportunity to to start my Division One football career. So, you know, something I'm always going to be thankful for. And, uh, yeah, so. I'll, I'll probably always have a great relationship you know, with Coach Hogg moving forward, but I'm definitely excited to play against them. You know, this weekend is going to be a really big game and a, and a great test for our football team. Did you have any crossover with Dalton Snead at UNLV, Montana's quarterback? Yeah, he, yeah, he can't. He was uh, the class right behind me. So when I was, uh, he came in that fall um, when I was. He came in that fall camp going into my second year. So we played a bit, but then I had that that elbow surgery. So I was, we were there together for for uh, a year. Um, pretty much, I was pretty much going through the elbow surgery the whole time. And then uh, I think that he redshirted that that his his freshman year. So, so we know each other a bit for sure. And uh, yeah, he's a he's a great dude. He works really hard, and uh, he's been he's been successful this year. So the, you know, it's great to see. Great to see, you know, guys that played with, um, you know, seeing success. And uh, they played North. The funny thing is they played North Alabama this year. And um, Northern Alabama's quarterback, Christian Lopez, was also a quarterback at UNLV at the same time. So it's just kind of funny, you know. UNLV quarterbacks running the FCS right That's now. That's right, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, I I got a, I had a couple Sac State uh, fans that were talking to me, and they were saying that they think this is the biggest game in Sac State history. With Sac State as the number fifteen team in the country, you got the number five ranked team in the nation coming to Hornet Stadium. Do you agree? And if so, how do you not let that cloud your vision of what you want Saturday to play out like? <laughs> I mean, it very well could be. I know. Uh... Uh, I don't know everything about the history and you know, of the program. I know it used to be D two at one point, but um, 
that's just something that we leave uh, leave up to the fans. We let the fans talk about that. We let you know the community, you know, people on the internet, you know, get to talk about that and uh, have their fun with it. But but we just got to treat it like every other game, and and it's going to be just like every other game we've prepared for and, and played this season. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing. Um, as far as preparing and getting ready for the game, it's it's no different than than any other games to us. There's just you know some rankings you know next to each of our names. That's the that's the one thing that you know all the hype around it. But other than that, it's it's just another football game, and and so we're gonna put everything we got into it and prepare just like just like we have each week. Well, as a, as a quarterback, obviously, uh, you are going to be preparing for or for the Grizzly defense. We talked uh, uh, with, with Andy Thompson about kind of the offensive side of this, but when you look at that Montana defense and, and what Kent Bear and some of the guys on that side have kind of put together, what do you see? What do they do that's unique? Yeah, they, uh, they, got, a couple, they got a couple really good, really good players. Um, they uh, – We've seen a couple different looks from them front wise, um, but but Dante Dante is a really talented guy. That man, he just makes a ton of tackles. And uh, Robbie Hugg also is, is a guy that'll that'll come down, play in the middle of the field, um, and he wants to get in there and and make tackles. So uh, you know, there's some there, and they got some big guys up front. So they're they're a very very talented football team. Um, definitely going to be going to be a good challenge for us and. Uh, you know, I think I think they play really hard and they and they fly around. Um, but I think we're gonna put a game plan to get together to kind of show them some some things that they haven't seen much of this season. And you know, if we execute that. You know, I like our chances. Kevin, we appreciate the time very much, my man. Best of luck to you on uh, Saturday. Been fun watching you guys play this season. We'll look forward to uh, to the game on Saturday and the rest of the gauntlet that is the uh, schedule that you guys got handed this year. Okay. <laughs> Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. First of all, last time I was down here talking to you, we were talking about Rob Fancy, Mike Berger, but now this coaching staff has a lot of crossover as well, especially when it comes to young guys that played for you that are now in the coaching business. They give you a sense of pride. The guys have stuck with football and made a career out of it. Like, yeah, I don't know. It makes me feel old. <laughs> but you're not that old. It's yeah, crazy. No, you got, have guys that are then we've, we've got Brandon Fisher at Southern Utah. Right, right. There's, a bu- there's a bunch of them. There's guys that worked with us at Weber. Yeah. So it, it's going to be uh, – every week but yeah i that guys enjoyed it enough and thought that they had uh um a good enough experience that it's something they wanted to keep doing is, is pretty cool andy's career was interesting because you know he came to play for mick denny he played for joe glenn then he played for you one of the few guys that had all that crossover did you see coaching abilities in him back in the day yeah certainly you know he came here as a quarterback right and then uh, and then moved to eventually the linebacker where he he did a good job for us but he always was pretty tuned into the X's and O's part. Craig Paulson, the first time around when you guys were here, your defenses were trademarked by playing so hard. It seems like he's got that D-line playing hard too. Do you see some carryover? Is it, is it a Craig Paulson-style defensive line that you see when you watch Sac State? Well, Craig's just innately a tough guy, mentally and, and physically tough, and he pushes that with, with his guys that he's coaching, and you can see that carryover for sure. He's got them playing well. I know you mentioned with Rob Fennessy how offenses evolve, um, but is, is the, do they run any defensive principles or schemes or anything that are similar to when they were playing and coaching here? Uh, no, that's it's more how Andy and Jerome evolved that defense at uh, NAU. There's probably more carryover to that than, than 
back here 15 years ago. I don't know if you had heard within the past hour or so, uh, Brock Osweiler from uh, Kalispell is, yeah. <laughs> uh, retired from the NFL. I'm curious, um, how much did you guys try recruiting him out of high school? Well, I think we, we Larry tried recruiting him in basketball and we tried recruiting him in football, but uh, he uh, that was going to be a hard get. Yeah. What, what were the conversations like between you guys? Oh, heck, that was a long time ago. I don't remember. I remember Brock being an awfully good guy, though. Would he have fit well in the system you were running at the time? Uh, yeah, certainly. Okay. That's why we recruited him. <laughs> you mentioned some of the stuff that Andy's carried over from his time with Jerome. What do you think of just the way that defensive schemes have evolved? Because it seems like that's the answer to the question every week. No one's running the same stuff <laughs> that they used to run because you can't. Everything's gotten so uh, much more in-depth, but the game's changed so much. What do you think just the way that defenses have evolved in college football? Uh, you know, it's kind of like you have to have a defense that's uh, – that's more uh, flexible, I would say, week to week because uh, there's one of two things. You have to have a defense that's extremely flexible or one that you do one thing and one thing only, which if you're good enough to do that, that's great. Um, Because in any given league, you're going to defend the spread, you're going to defend the eye, you're going to defend the option uh, or some form of that week to week to week. So you have to be able to defend all of them. I know you talked about Kevin Thompson and, and helping recruit him to UNLV, but now you got two former UNLV quarterbacks kind of going back yeah. and forth. What do you think of that dynamic at this game? Well, it's kind of cool they know each other. I mean, obviously when you spend time together in a meeting room, there's going to be some rivalry, and and it's uh, I think that'll be fun to watch. First of all, Sac State's offense seems very diverse. Uh, they do all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. When you look at them, uh, how complicated is it to prepare for? I mean, yeah, you know, as from an offensive perspective, it's good to do that and, uh, you know, get the defense thinking. And from the defensive perspective, it's, uh, you know, part of the biggest battle is getting lined up and communicating uh, pre-snap. So uh, that's definitely an emphasis for us this week and uh, getting aligned to everything they do. You hear in this day and age of football across all levels, you hear RPO, RPO, RPO. Is, is Idaho State's different than Sac State's? And if so, how? Uh, you know, RPO is similar uh, altogether. I mean, obviously, there's a couple different things you can do off of it. Uh, I would say it's similar. You know, it also depends upon who's who's uh, playing quarterback and who uh, that receiver is that they're reading or receivers. Um, so it's it, it'll be a little different uh, this week, obviously, with uh, five quarterback because he's a great runner. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's different week to week with uh, teams that run that. Elijah Dotson, the, the running back, he, he's probably the best pass-catching running back in the league. How does that add just to the dynamic of the offense? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's just an extra guy you got to cover if he, you know, releases out in the flat or uh, gets out and runs a route. So, uh, you know, he's a very uh, versatile player. He's, uh, he's great running the ball, and he's got great hands, like you said. So uh, it's definitely something you got to take time to prepare for each week. One thing that Coach Alex said last week was sometimes buys might not be good when you're playing as well as you guys have been playing. How do you carry momentum into this road trip this week? Uh, you know, we just got to keep doing uh, everything we do, prepare how we prepare, um, and stay focused on uh, Sac State. Um, they're playing hot as well, so it'll be a fun game on Saturday. Selway Armory is the best place to get guns, ammo, and accessories anywhere around. Don't believe me? Then take the Selway Armory Challenge. Shop with Selway for a year, and you'll save enough to buy an additional firearm. After the remodel, Selway Armory has doubled their in-store inventory. And with a local warehouse, they can get you any product you want while regularly beating competition prices. Selway Armory is locally owned, with experts on hand to answer any question. Buy local, save money. Take the Selway Challenge. Selway Armory, 2425 Stockyard Road, Unit E6, behind IHOP on North Reserve.
First of all, tell me about the bye. What do you think you guys got done, and uh, what was it like having a week off? Did you feel like you got a little bit healed up a little bit? Oh, yeah. Uh, we all we all could use the bye week really well. Uh, we just all got rested. You know, those who needed it got in the training room, and it just, you know, gave us extra time to prepare and focus in on the details. These guys are all standing right here, so I'll ask you about them even though I hadn't planned on it. Offensive line, their improvements, how much does that oh, help yeah. you guys operate on offense? Oh, it's helped us so much. You know, they've come so far from where they were last year, you know, and it really shows in their offseason work. Uh, they were just always meeting, watching, spending extra time watching film, you know, just doing extra workouts even after our design workouts. And, you know, it's just, you can just tell they're all cohesive and they're on the same page, and it's been a great help to us. Moses Ballard there, when you watch the oh, film back, it's so funny because he pancakes guys, but then yeah. he rolls off of him, make yeah. sure he gets up nice and slow. Yeah. He's so funny to watch. What sort of physical element do you think he's brought to that unit? Man, that's that's the type of guy you want on your team, mm-hmm. especially on your O-line. You know, he's just one of those down, downright dirty, nasty guys and he's just going to really take it out of the defense, you know. Just like you said, you know, that extra stuff that he does, you know, just playing to the whistle and he just he just wipes the defense out and he just makes him so tired and it allows us, we just wear the defense out as the game goes on and it just you know makes it easier to keep putting it on defenses. This week's second trip to California, second time you guys are playing a ranked team and a team that's hot. So what's the mindset of you guys uh, just uh, collectively going down to California this week? Oh, oh, we're just locked in, and we're making sure we prepare to the point where we're confident that we're going to win, and I believe that we've done that, you know. It's just putting in the extra time in film, uh, like I said, focusing on the details because, you know, like you said, this is a this is a huge game. This team is hot. You know, we're coming off a bye. we got to step it up, and, you know, we're just really excited. Zach State, they're so good against the run, which then sets up the long yardage situations on third downs. They're so good at the pass rush. So how important is it for you guys to stay ahead of the sticks, stay on schedule? Oh, it's very important for us to stay ahead of the sticks. You know, that, that's how you win games, honestly. That's how it comes down to it. You know, you got to move the ball. And, you know, three and outs uh, can really kill a game. You know, you know, with the defense, we know our defense is going to get stops. But then, you know, if we go three and out, they're back on the field in under five minutes, you know, that's going to wear them out. So we're really trying to help our defense out by, you know, putting long drives together and, you know, just grinding it down. Watching Sac State on Saturday in Bozeman, they play so much man coverage. Yeah. How much? What do you think of the prospects of going against man coverage? That probably something that excites you and Sammy yeah. and some of the other receivers. Definitely. You know, we always look forward to going against man coverage, you know. If the team feels like they can throw their uh, corners out there and lock us up one-on-one, we like that, you know. It's a, it presents a challenge to us, and, you know, we accept. <laughs> Key to victory on Saturday for the Grizzlies? Um, just play hard to the fourth quarter, you know. Finish strong like we've been doing all year, you know. Uh, that's one thing this year that we've been really good on is just, you know, finishing through the fourth quarter and really putting it on teams and grinding it out, and I think that's what we need to do.